I've been looking for you for eight months. Whenever I should have had a gun in my right hand, I thought of you. Now I find you in exactly the position that suits me. I had lots of time to learn how to shoot with my left. <laughs> When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Alright, that's a clap. There's two kinds of people in this world. Those with loaded guns, those who clap. <laughs> you clap. Hey everybody, and welcome back once again to Podcast Part 3, the Part 3 Podcast, your semi-regular look at movies that came after two other movies. I am Sam. And I am Will. And this week, we are looking at the third in a sort of trilogy after the fact, if you will, uh, Sergio Leone's landmark spaghetti western, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And uh, hot take, it's uh, it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. I yeah, mean, no, this <laughs> is uh, this is one of those masterpieces I hear so much about. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it rocks. I mean, I don't know, like the Universal monsters and like Godzilla. I'd say the the Clint Eastwood Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns are iconic on that level where you probably know them without having seen them because. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's like everyone knows he's, he's you know, with the poncho and, you know, just like and all the there's so many shots in this movie that like are just iconic shots that like I think, you know, weren't really like part of the Western genre until this point. Yeah. And like an extreme close ups and um, uh, extreme close ups. And of course, the score, which is what I knew more than anything coming in when I first saw this movie. That's what I knew about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that score is is iconic and it's yeah. been used in everything. It's in uh, it's it's showing up. Ecstasy of Gold shows up in like Modelo commercials <laughs> now. You know, it's in it's all over the place. Yeah. It's, you know, when you think of uh, two guys squaring off for a shootout, you hear that music in your head. Spaghetti westerns, uh, they, they, you know, I think that's, you know, that's a little bit, that term, speaking of selling things short, you know, I think yeah. people think of uh, these sort of low-budget, aggressively dubbed, you know, just sort of rip-offs of, of successful American westerns. And obviously, uh, the the Italian filmmakers, you know, for every Fellini, there is there are two dozen rip-offs of Day of the Dead and The Road Warrior and, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just about to mention the Italian uh, Mad Max knockoffs that, yes. that, that uh, cropped uh, up in the 80s. Yes, Bronx Warriors, There's... you know, something. <laughs> Texas Gladiators. Escape from Bronx, Leave Bronx, whatever it is. Yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> and uh, so... These three movies, there's three movies in what's known as the Man With No Name trilogy or the Dollars trilogy. Sergio Leone uh, and Clint Eastwood made these three movies, the first of which was A Fistful of Dollars, uh, which was filmed in 1964 and was Clint Eastwood's first leading role in a movie, but did not come out in the U.S. until 1967 after uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly was filmed. All three of the spaghetti, those three movies, A Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars More and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly were released 
in the same year, in 1967, in the U.S., sort of within, like, three months or, or so of each other. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it, it was, uh, I think so, yeah, because A Few Dollars More is 65, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly was filmed in 66, and then they were released February, May, and August of 1967, and that just catapulted Clint Eastwood's career. Because before that, he was mostly known as a TV guy in the U.S. He'd done Rawhide. He was a Western guy, obviously. And that's probably why he got the job doing A Fistful of Dollars. But, you know, this was next level for him. And, you know, he's been Clint Eastwood ever since. (laughs) Well, and he's... He's really good as this character. Like, he's really good as this character. I mean, he's like, he's basically this taciturn badass um, and sort of sets the template for taciturn badasses for decades to come. But he's like, he's he's so cool, but not in a way where he feels like an author like an author insert you know like he no doesn't... yeah but and he's so different from the western heroes you think of leading up to him like right. you're you know you're upstanding you know sheriff star wearing you know uh like gary cooper in high noon or or henry fonda you know or john wayne for that matter john wayne i'm not the biggest john wayne fan but I think he gets sort of written off as being like the iconic stalwart Western hero, but a lot of John Wayne's characters, the movie, not wa- that. the movie yeah. doesn't want you to like them. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of shades of gray and a lot of John Ford's work that do work their way into the dollars trilogy. But it's like the, the man with no name, Joe Manco or Blondie, depending on which movie you're watching. <laughs> uh, he, he's not overly heroic. No, he's, Good. He's the good by virtue of being a little bit better than the people around him. <laughs> yeah, he... <laughs> he's mostly in it for money, and uh, you know he's he's he he has just enough moral compass to make you like him, and he's just just cool as hell because he's, he's he's just so cool. Yeah, he's, he's fucking Clint Eastwood when he was our age, which makes and... me feel so fucking like. I don't feel like I should be allowed to be 36 uh, and looking the way I do when Clint Eastwood was 36 in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... uh, (laughs) No, um... No, but he's also, and he's also always one step ahead of everyone who's trying to get the drop on him in one way or another. And in this movie in particular, he sort of, he knows when Tuco's trying to to pull one over on him. And like, even though Tuco does technically get it over on him one time. <laughs> one time. Yeah. But but that's yeah. the thing. In the, in the end, he, he's always like in, he's so poker faced and he's playing them the whole time. He orchestrates that entire shootout knowing that he's, you know, you think it's going to be this three-way standoff, but he's taking all the bullets out of Tuco's gun, so he's only got to worry about Angel Eyes. And yep. even if for some reason one of them were to get the drop on him and kill him, he they're he's not going to only... get the information they need, so he's <laughs> gonna, they're going to be fucked either way. Yeah, he's he's got everything. He's just cool and collected and and like you say he does have a bit of a moral compass and he does have a code of honor his on, code of honor is mostly like if you're dying he might share his cigarillo with you <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, exactly. Um, and but but I mean, but he's also you know he's nice enough. Like he he and Tuco blow up the bridge for that guy. I mean, I know they need to blow up the bridge. Yeah, to, no, but... I, that that poor uh, drunk civil <laughs> union captain is the guy who gets the biggest arc in the movie because he he's like he gets he gets what he wants at the end of right before he dies. Dies. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So in. So going back to the first two, uh, A Fistful of Dollars is an unofficial remake of Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. So to take it back to uh, to tie it back into Toho from our previous episode, (laughs) it was unofficial in the sense that Toho successfully sued the producers of A Fistful of Dollars because they they did not get the uh, permission to remake Yojimbo. And it is a dead on remake of Yojimbo. The Man With No Name and Yojimbo wander into this town where there are these two rival gangs and he plays them against each other to make a profit. Yeah. Basically. It's, it's, and, it's, and that's the long and short of it. Yeah. 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 And that, that basic premise has been like seven samurai has also been inspired a bunch of other different things too. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, they did the, there was last man standing with, with Bruce, uh, Willis. Bruce Willis. Yeah. It's, uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, the Western is like a very quintessentially American genre, but you can certainly point to uh, samurai movies as being one of the direct uh, ancestors of it, you know, in yeah. terms of sort of these lone lone gunmen for hire wandering the desert, you know, sort of that idea. But then others are pledged to a, you know, feudal lord and or, let's say, cattle boss, uh, <laughs> you know, depending on what you're watching. Yeah, feudal and, uh, lord, cattle yeah, boss, it, yeah. And so, yeah, so the three movies um, were not intended to be, like, a fran- a series. They aren't meant to be connected. He's- Clint Eastwood is not supposed to be playing the same guy in uh, all three. He's essentially kind of just playing a stock character. Right. And, you know, he be- it was marketed as three movies, as the man with no name, when it came to the U.S. Um, uh, so... Yeah, obviously, in the first one, he's they call him Joe. In the second one, he's called Manco, which means left hand, because he does everything with his left hand except shoot. Right. And then he in this one, he's Blondie. But to be fair, he never introduces himself as those <laughs> names. They're always given to him. He right. is this very stock archetypal character that kind of wanders into a story. And, you know, he, him and uh, Tuco in this one are very removed from the plot for, like, the first hour of the film, which yeah. is, you know, they're trying to get this, you know, stolen uh, gold, stolen, like, $200,000 in gold. And for the most part, it's just Lee Van Cleef going after it. And then they all sort of collide at the midpoint, and that's when, you know, the the chase is on. Yeah. But the first hour of the movie, the good and the ugly are not interested in getting <laughs> the gold. They've got their... Uh, they don't even hand... know about the gold. No, they, they don't. Yeah. They find out about it... <laughs> You know, like, yeah, like way into the movie. Yeah, and sort of by happenstance. Like they don't even, you know, it's they just happen upon the guy dying who tells them about the gold. They don't, uh, it's not like they go looking for it. They're no, just sort of No, not there. at all. It's, it's <laughs> after one of their many sort of vignette encounters with assorted, incredibly weird looking, you know, <laughs> European and Italian actors who are heavily dubbed. Yeah, yeah it, it's... um. It's so interesting to watch these movies because the the way that it depicts the American Southwest and it's like 
It's like this weird dreamlike world. The way that states are referred to is in relation to each other, like, doesn't make a ton of sense. And the landscape kind of looks like the American Southwest, but not really. Like, it, and everyone's dubbed. It just, it feels like almost post-apocalyptic in a way, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it's, it was shot mostly in, the out the exteriors were shot mostly in Spain. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, has places that look like the Southwest. And the movie's sort of, they're basically kind of bumming around Texas and New Mexico. And right. the it's in the backdrop of the movie is the Civil War going on, which the characters could not be bothered with <laughs> unless it suits their, their needs. Or, or, yeah, or gets in their way. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's uh, it's like just kind of they're like following different regiments just sort of wandering around the Southwest from like town to town engaging in what feel like pointless skirmishes and squabbles. It's it, much like uh, the Godzilla movies are a little window into uh, Japanese culture at any given time in the last 60 years. The Spaghetti Westerns are an interesting view into how Europeans see American, like American history and the American Western genre. Yeah. And it, it's particularly this one in the way it depicts the Civil War. It feels very European in the way that it's sort of presenting that war and presenting the way that the, the people fighting it are thinking about it. You know, yeah. it's very it's, much like, I don't know what they were doing. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> I don't know what the Civil War was about, but there were guys in blue and there were guys in gray and they would fight. <laughs> exactly. But there exactly. is like this element of like the war is, you know, is just kind of like this unending, uh, like especially to all these like regular soldiers. Obviously, the Civil War was important and, you know, we don't need to go into the nuances of that. But like you have to think about like the Civil War out in the the, the like territories and in the southwest where it was so far removed from the the fighting we think of you know your your gettysburg your vicksburg you know right. lee and grant and all that it probably did feel like what are we even doing <laughs> like famously the last skirmish of the civil war happened in i think new mexico and it happened well after the appomattox surrender and the confederates won <laughs> so it yeah, is, it, it, like it is. It's kind of. It is. It's a. It's done in a very broad, like you said, like dreamlike, almost fantasy way. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's rooted in an actual piece of American history that you don't see. You don't see that element of the Civil War portrayed much. No, and and one of the fascinating things though is that like everyone is fighting the war. Like you said, they don't really know why they're doing it. They're just sort of like, well, those are the bad guys. <laughs> Depending on, you know, they're, the guys wearing gray are bad or, you know, guys wearing blue are bad. And they all just seem so beaten down and just haunted by this war that just seems like it's never ending. Yeah, you and know? it's not like a lot of later westerns, or prior westerns to this for that matter, that kind of romanticize the uh, lost cause of the South. You know, you see that in The Searchers or in right. Outlaw Josie Wales. Uh, this one, it's just like, yeah, both sides are are just completely burnt out. You have that, like, the commandant at the prison who's right. just, like, dying of gangrene and is just, like, he knows that the moment he dies, everyone, like, angel eyes underneath him is going to start, like, committing war crimes, essentially. <laughs> but he's yeah. just like, don't. Can you not? I don't care what they did at Andersonville. We are not going to do that here. 
I know I'm dying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's uh, it it's like heavy themes for a movie that is actually just like kind of a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's and it's. Uh... It's like you said, dreamlike is a good way to describe a lot of it, and a big part of that is the score, of course. Right. Yeah. Like you know, Ennio Morricone's score is just—it's—it's—it's it's classic western meets like European choir meets surf rock, essentially. <laughs> That's the best yeah. I can do to describe it, and it's so fucking good. It is like yeah. like the amazing. opening score is great. The ecstasy of gold is great. There's some really like beautiful themes in there. There's like yeah. the song they're singing in the prison camp. It's it's it's. It, I mean, it. All three of these movies have like this incredible score. And Ennio Morricone did like a bajillion scores in in uh, Italy and in Europe. And you know, it's uh, he has like a very distinct style to his music. Uh, but this is obviously his most famous score. I would say. Right. I mean, I mean, the most iconic, anyway, especially that theme. The yeah. The the with the harmonica. Yeah. Um, I think that's a harmonica, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, you've all heard it. It's do 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 do. It is expanding on like the visuals and the themes and the characters of the first uh, two movies. Obviously, the only recurring character is. Clint Eastwood's sort of archetypal character. Right. But it's like putting him in a... Each movie expands it, it a little bit. Like, the first movie, it's just him working alone. The second movie is him and Lee Van Cleef in a different role as a good guy working <laughs> together. And uh, and then the, th- the third movie, it is it is like this much more sprawling uh, epic. It's a uh, an epic war movie slash western slash buddy comedy in a weird way <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh it's it's wild and uh, i mean i think if you haven't seen this movie like us talking about it probably it sounds just totally crazy and it's not it's very like it's not uh you know off the wall wacky or wild it's very very formal in sort of its compositions and the way that it's constructed i but. i mean i don't I, it's weird because the western these days doesn't really exist no. In the in the same sense as it did in, you know, certainly not in the way it did in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and not in the way it did uh, with these movies in the 60s and 70s, or, like, the Clint Eastwood revival stuff of the 80s. Like, everything, let's, probably after Unforgiven, after Clint Eastwood just took this genre apart, uh, <laughs> is, is a, is a, uh, is, there's very, there are very few, like, earnest westerns that get made anymore. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's it's uh, it's a hard genre to do now because every because the movies that are sort of imprinted on the American psyche or are have embedded themselves in pop culture are all reactions to the other ones, and so you come along now and you make a western. It has to be in conversation with sort of the other bits of the genre too. What's you know? what's, what's really interesting. And I would say that in terms of, like, the, the tropes of a Western hero, quote-unquote, uh, the man with no name is probably the least heroic of the Western heroes. But the more I think about it, you think of all the, like, what are the really famous Westerns? you got Unforgiven, The Searchers, uh, The Magnificent Seven, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, High Noon. All of those are about how 
incompatible the Western hero is with the Old West. Right. Like, like yeah. John Wayne is a piece of shit in The Searchers, and the movie doesn't want you to think anything otherwise. It just happens to not portray uh, indigenous people in a particularly thoughtful manner. <laughs> but, like, the man, uh, the man Who Shot Liberty Valance is the same way. The Western right. hero is a fraud. You know, the, the, the myth of the West is just something right. we make up to inspire people. Right, and and it's always, I mean, even, even yeah, the ones that were, you know, that, I guess, the, the iconic ones from the first wave are all kind of about how the the gunfighter, the, the Western hero, is sort of out of place in the modern, in, as modernity is coming along. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, you know, the spaghetti Westerns and the Peckinpah Westerns are all kind of in reaction to that and sort of about sort of the more political movements that were going on in the 60s and 70s. Um, and and it's the heroes are not as like good, but they don't really the heroes also don't give a shit that they don't fit in. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Peckinpah and uh, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid too. Right. Yeah. The yeah, kind yeah. of the message with those ones is you, you these heroes or these these cowboy characters they are not going to survive past this this world the west yeah. the the west is going to evolve past them and you know i think they say in butch casting the sundance kid there's like you're going to die and all you and it's going to be bloody and all you can choose is when and where and that's yeah. you know what's so interesting about these spaghetti westerns and i haven't seen a ton beyond the man with no name is the the hero does get away at the end. They all yeah. have like a relatively happy ending. You know, he gets <laughs> he gets his cash and he rides off into the sunset. Yeah, I mean, and the only the one that that sort of it has a happy ending, but it also is sort of being like, well, their time is done. Is Once Upon a Time in the West? Yes, we haven't really yeah. we haven't mentioned Once Upon a Time in the West, which apart from it's a completely different set of actors, and I think a correct a correct I've only seen it once. Uh, it's. I think it was more an American production. Because... Well, I mean, it was shot. It was shot in like Monument Valley. Yeah, and, and, and it's uh... it's got like it's an all American cast. You yeah, know, it's it's Henry Fonda, Jason Robards, and Charles Bronson playing the good, the bad, and the ugly. Essentially, <laughs> like Bronson yeah. is the good, Robards is Tuco, and yeah. uh, Henry Fonda is uh, Angel Eyes. Essentially, yeah. it's yeah. like that expands on the first three movies, and that's what if. A woman was a character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What if What if we had a, a female character for once? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have to see that again. That's the one that I feel like. I don't know. People talk about that one like that's his masterpiece, but I still think this is the better movie. Yeah. Well, this one's more watchable. That one has like a lot to say, and it's longer. Yeah. And there's a lot more that goes on. This one's just a little more character focused um this one and, has more of like the spaghetti western style to it yeah yeah i mean that one that one certainly has a lot of it too but he's but leone is trying to really do like a john ford thing with yeah 100 percent. like it still feels like certainly the opening sequence of once upon in the time in the west is quintessential uh sergio leone but yeah you know he 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 didn't direct a lot of movies yeah, uh, yeah, I, I honestly there's it's the spaghetti westerns aside from and I haven't actually seen for a few dollars more, but um aside from a fistful of dollars this and and um once upon a time upon a time in the west, I haven't seen a lot of the spaghetti westerns. Like I haven't seen any any of the Django movies or um 
any of those uh, those ones that sort of yeah uh, talks yeah, I, about. I've seen like Lee Van Cleef was in a ton. Uh, Sergio yeah. Leone did one other that wasn't uh, a, a man with no name. That was a ducky sucker or right. a fistful of dynamite. And I think right. that had James Coburn. They all had all the Italian ripoffs. All. Any like Australian exploitation, Italian exploitation, <laughs> uh, you know, like it, all of these ones, it, they would import one American star. And the 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 spaghetti westerns had this really interesting way of filming where they had, you know, because they were like a European co-production, it was like Spain, Italy, Germany. Sometimes they would um, have like actors from all over Europe, and they would all perform in their native language. And then they right. dub them in late, which I, I can't imagine how you did that on set. Like in the an, yeah. in a fistful of uh, for in for a few dollars more, you have scenes with Jean Maria Valente, who's Italian, Lee Van Cleef, who's American, and Klaus Kinski, who's German. And and if you know Klaus Kinski, I guarantee you he's not a patient man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you got to see for a few dollars more because you got Klaus know, Kinski. I, I as a hunchback, but somehow still coming off, it's maybe his most, like, measured performance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but yeah, and that's uh, the dubbing and the... I think the dubbing also sort of contributes to the sort of that dreamlike quality of it, too, because everything yeah. just feels just a little off and just a little funky, and you're like, what am I watching here? And it, it's... People it's, aren't... The lips aren't... The flip flaps aren't really matching up, but uh, it's... I, yeah, it's yeah I think it's that thing of also, like, we sort of, in America, equate dubbing to, like, the movie being schlockier. Yeah. Like, like yeah. a classy foreign movie you watch in its, in its original language with subtitles. Like, <laughs> if you're classy, you watch Godzilla, you know, Godzilla in Japanese. If you're a weirdo, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a noob, if you're a hack, you watch it dubbed. But these are only dubbed. This is the way to watch it. And it's, yeah. I think it's because they are... A, these movies are Clint Eastwood movies. They've been re-released and remastered time and time again. So they look they're they, they're beautifully made movies, but they look really clean. They've been taken yeah. the prints have been really well tended to. The dubbing, yeah, has more of like a just makes it feel so like different as opposed to cheap. And I imagine yeah. I think a lot yeah. of the lower tier spaghetti westerns air more on the like watching uh, you know. Hong Kong martial arts movies right. or, you know, shitty monster movies, like Japanese <laughs> kaiju movies. Yeah. They're not shitty. They're, they're fantastic. I don't know why I said that. Well, but, 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 but I think that Ultra, that's... You're, you're watching your lesser Ultraman episodes, right, if right. you will. Yeah, but you're watching it dubbed in, like, the dubbed version, which has, like, four voice actors voicing everybody, you know? But yeah, I mean, what's crazy, for three movies that weren't intended to be a trilogy, they work really well as a trilogy, they're, they like they it, it they ex we've talked about this with other series they expand the scope of what they're trying to accomplish more it's reflecting on the same themes in bigger and bigger ways it expands this character who even though it's not meant to be the same character across three movies absolutely feels like it is because he <laughs> always dresses the same and it's Clint Eastwood and you know he's you know he doesn't have any distinct differences in personality across the three films. The only thing that makes this movie different is that if they are indeed one series, this is a prequel because this right, is where because... he gets his poncho. <laughs> right. Yeah, he does. He pulls it off, it pulls it out. And the way that it, it's, it's so crazy to me that you, that, you know, you said that it, these all came out, um, 
in the same month because it seems like they knew that that poncho was iconic. Well, there's a big pulls it out. It's a big deal. It. Yeah. yeah, there's like a big pan up. You know that like if you you'd gotten the, the heat building for these yeah. movies all summer, <laughs> and then this one comes out, the audience would have cheered like it's yeah. Avengers Endgame. <laughs> exactly. It's like this is a big moment. He's getting his stuff. <laughs> They're a great watch because this one's long, but it doesn't really feel super long. It's kind no. of like we were saying; it's like a series of vignettes. Really, it's it's yeah, pretty much up until you get to like the last forty-five minutes. The last kinda... forty-five from like the bridge sequence onward. It's yeah. it's one last. Con- well, mostly it's uh, Eli Wallach running around a graveyard, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the score is the fantastic. Score is so great, and I mean it's it's problematic that eli wallach is is playing a a a mexican but he is great in this he's fantastic so good look i mean yes i representation was very lacking back then i (laughs) i as uh, you know i can't single him out no no absolutely not if if you've you know there how many italian like italian american guys played native americans my my favorite is uh uh, there's some uh, some Roger Corman western where it's a shootout between cowboys and Native Americans, and Dick Miller's playing a guy on both sides. <laughs> like they just <laughs> put the camera around and put a different like a wig and a hat on him. Oh God! <laughs> uh, oh Corman. Yeah. Uh, but you, but uh, but no. But Eli Wallach, like you actually like Tuco feels like a fully realized character like he he feels like a real person like he doesn't feel like like a stock character in a way oh, that 100%. he could have you know in um, in in it and that's different from the man with no name or Lee Van Cleef as Angel Eyes who who is a very much a stock villain yeah. you know he's he's cruel and he he's he's uh greedy and he's conniving and he's he's he enjoys it Tuco, he's not stupid and he's not incapable. That scene where he builds his own gun is yep, always yep, great. Like he great. can, he's he's a badass, uh, but he's like he's a little too impulsive. He, you know, they give all this shading about like his his relationship with his family and his yep. brother, and you know, like how he's, you know, you do get the sense that he really just wants to have a friend, but he can't help but backstab everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's like he can't, he just, he can't help but give in to his, his, uh, his worst, his lesser impulses. And I do like that they, that, you know, Blondie and his, Blondie sees that uh, scene with his brother. Yeah. And it, like, do, and it, they do have a little bonding moment. It's a yeah. really cool moment. No, they're, they're yeah. great opposite each other. Uh, because it's not like a full on like buddy cop where they're constantly bickering. Yeah. It's like like the man with the blondie knows. Okay, I know you're gonna you're gonna betray me. Uh, I'm, I'm and when I'm prepared you do, for it. When I'm, you do, and when I'm... you do, I will I will unleash cannon fire on you because <laughs> you can't help it. But uh, at the same time he's not like a dick about it they're not like yeah. dicks to each other they each have this one piece of information one of them knows where the cemetery is and the other one knows the name of the grave where the money's buried and they just keep constantly trying to get that info from each <laughs> other in this really like playful way yeah they're great they're great they're the, the chemistry between the two of them is really really great too between um clint eastwood and eli wallach and um yeah and i mean and lee van cleef is always fun just to see him being 
mean and <laughs> yeah well that's like, why i want you to watch for a few dollars more where he's not mean he's, yeah his character and that has the depth that you get from tuco in this one but he's like he's the gentleman assassin and that like the gentleman bounty <laughs> hunter in that like he's got his pipe and he's like, very well dressed and clint eastwood's got his poncho on so he's like, he's the more <laughs> gruff gritty guy right and the uh. villain in that is played by John Moria Volante, who's in the first movie as well. He's one of the, like, brothers in one of the two gangs. Okay. Uh, the one that gets shot when Clint Eastwood's wearing the armor plating. Oh, yeah. His, yeah, okay. it's that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. And he was going to be the, 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 the he was going to be Tuco in this, and he was going to come back, but then they decided they wanted someone more comedic, and I think that makes the character a lot more relatable because he's yeah. not just the worst aspects of him. He becomes more of a... It's a weird one to compare him to, but like he's like almost a Jack Sparrow on a certain level. No, I actually I think that's a great comparison because I think the um in you know, I think the idea with Jack Sparrow is that he is. He's like he's a capable badass, but is also just kind of like a, a dope and a doof. <laughs> if you if you merged the good and the ugly in this movie, you'd get a lot of the heroes you get today. Well, a lot of them are. Where they're all like Clint Eastwood handsome, but they're like kind of goofballs at the same time. No, I mean, that's Star Lord, right? Yeah, that's Star Lord. That's Deadpool on a certain level. You know, it's. Yeah, it's. uh, It's. I mean, it's a hugely influential movie, you know, and uh, it's what's crazy is I don't know how many people have seen it. Westerns are so out of fashion now. And I wonder on a certain level, that's because I can't think of another genre where you can, like, literally track its evolution as it literally evolves into obsolescence, essentially. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it goes from in the 30s and 40s where they're just cranking them out. There's the serials, there's the Republic movies, there's all the stuff John Wayne did, like, before John Ford got to him. There's the stuff right. in the 50s and early 60s that's a little more reflective. Like, the Old West isn't, like, the, the Old West is gone, the modern times are catching up. There's the how the Europeans view it, and then you get into the 90s and into the 2000s with, like, Unforgiven and, uh, you know, the Kevin Costner movies and uh, Deadwood. It's sort of like as we become sort of come to understand our own history, America's history from that era, and we learn it wasn't so cut and dried. It wasn't so, <laughs> like, you know, upstanding yeah. heroes and conniving villains everyone was kind of a piece of shit because they were just trying to, like, survive and build something. And and yeah. up to the point where, like, yeah, there really isn't much new you can say about it short of telling stories from the points of view of people, of character, of, like, people from that era that weren't haven't been represented before. Like, you know, there's that new series with Emily Blunt where it's it's her oh, yeah. Yeah. and um, uh, I, I, I don't remember his name, but he was an indigenous uh, actor. And like that's two characters that have not been represented as much in Westerns. Yeah, I mean, and, and it, it, it takes place after the Civil War, so it's not quite, it, it, it doesn't quite fit the bill as a Western. But Well, um, most Westerns take place oh, after the Civil War. I guess War. that's true. I guess that's true. This one's kind of I... the exception, because so many Westerns involve characters who like fought in the Civil War. Yeah. Like, well, uh, I... I remember the uh, Wyatt Earp, uh, the Kevin Costner Wyatt Earp starts with him. He's running off because he wants to join his brothers in the fight, but he's too young. And, right. uh, and then he grows right. up into Kevin Costner playing a 20-year-old, which is but, just uh, funny. But, I mean, like, speaking of sort of unrepresented, um, you know, voices and, and characters, have you watched Warrior at all? Um, I the, have not. It's based on, on a concept that Bruce Lee came up with, which uh, d- 
depending on who you believe, was stolen for uh, what eventually became Kung Fu, uh, the show. Um, but anyway, it's set in San Francisco right after the uh, the Civil War, and uh, it it sort of is takes this. It's about Chinese immigrants and and things like that. I mean, it's you know very pulpy and violent, <laughs> but sure, but yeah. it's but but it's a similar thing, and and you know. Uh, prey is not what you'd call a western but um but that's sort of a similar view where it sort of takes uh the uh, uh, what was traditionally presented as villainous you know people and sort of making them the heroes and... yeah i think it's 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 almost more like the cowboy character the cowboy yeah. hero there's not much left to say yeah it's, I it's mean, a I... character that evolved over about 80 years of filmmaking and and subsequently was kind of deconstructed by a lot of the people that made that that character famous. But yeah, no, I mean it, it's you you watch Unforgiven after watching you know these three movies, and you just you just basically watch somebody just shoot the genre in the head. <laughs> you know, like he comes up and then kills it in a way. Yeah, essentially, you know? and he, and obviously Clint Eastwood made a ton of westerns between these movies yep. and Unforgiven, so you've got Pale Rider, Outlaw Josie Wills, High Plains Drifter, which feels like a parody of these movies. <laughs> but it is, like, even these three movies sort of go from, the first movie involves a lot of just, like, wholesale slaughter of people for yeah. the sake of just, like, turf wars, to this one, like, the same character is watching the fight over the bridge, and musing over how many lives are wasted. So even, like, these movies reflect on, you know, the violence that they're portraying more so and more so with every film. There's a lot to dig into this movie. Um, again, like I said, it's like it's dealing with heavy themes and stuff, but it but it's also, like, just so fucking fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wildly entertaining. It's really yeah. funny. Yeah. Uh, Clint Eastwood, all three of the leads are great, you know... It, the dubbing isn't distracting. It's just no, kind of no. adds to the flavor. Yeah, every it feels, supporting it feels character, like a stylistic and every thing. supporting character is just like such a strikingly weird-looking person. And the first shot of the movie is just like a weird-looking dude coming into <laughs> frame, and it's like I think that's the thing that maybe these movies made the most famous is this: the close-up, increasing close-up shots of yeah. people's faces. The final standoff is just like a masterclass in editing and framing people's eyes. Yeah, yeah, just looking at each other. Uh it's uh it it's incredible. And and I mean and you, you know, you can also see how this movie, you know, I mean, Stephen King's very open about how this movie inspired his Dark Tower series. Oh, yes, um, of course. But uh but it, it's um you know, and 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 sort of him watching this movie at 19 and, and being obsessed with Lord of the Rings, like you can see how like an American writer would be like, I want to use this as my, my fantasy epic. Cause it does, it feels very fantasy like in a lot of the way. Totally. I mean, you think about like Yodorowsky did El Topo, which is right. kind of a fantasy yeah. Western. Um, yeah. And this is definitely the, the quintessential dude rides into town you know, sort of yeah. movie. And I think, yeah. like, definitely the first one is 100% that, and that came from the more fanciful world of uh, Kurosawa and then became more and more grounded in reality as these movies went on. Yeah. It might be one of the uh, uh, situations... Is this a situation where the third movie's the best in the trilogy? Well, I, I, I haven't you seen gotta the see if one, it, but... for, I love it for a few dollars more, but this one is... 
the best one. There's my favorite ones, and there's my best ones. It's like, yes, Vertigo is better than Rear Window, but Rear Window is my favorite. You know, it's that situation. <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah, well, Rear Window's just a little bit more watchable. Anyway, that's a different conversation for another time. <laughs> well, I think of it, you know, as a, a writer with air quotes and a lowercase w. Um, <laughs> uh, I think of, there's like the kind of movies that I, uh, I I think are great, and then there's the kind of movies that I love to watch, and then there's the kind of movies that I would want to make. Yeah. Like, yeah. if we're going to do Hitchcock, Vertigo is, is great. I want to watch Rear Window... I want to make North by Northwest. You know, I think that would be the same way I'd, I'd view it too. Uh, and yeah. if we're talking yeah. Westerns, it's like Unforgiven is great. I want to watch for a few dollars, uh, a fistful of dollars. I want to make uh, for a few dollars more. Cause it's, it's, it's a little more of a cat and mouse story, which right, I like. Right. But yeah, yeah. absolutely watch it. Uh, all of you at home, watch them. The first two are on canopy. So if you've got a library card, you can watch them. And, uh, yeah. Uh, the, this one is on stars. If you uh, have stars, get that moment. seven day trial through Amazon yeah. Prime, and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one, uh, I have the Blu-ray, and it's definitely like one of these movies that's changed distributors a bunch of times. So it's like Fox, <laughs> then MGM, then United Artists. Like they're just like it's like 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 a like a VHS getting taped over. It's just right. new distributor cards at the beginning Every of the Blu-ray. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, when uh, you watched it, was it the expanded version or the regular version? Oh, I don't know. It was whatever was on Stars. Um, um, you would know because it was res- these all these like probably another like seventeen minutes of scenes were restored in the early two thousands, and Clint Eastwood and Eli Wallach came back and dubbed them. No, oh, wow. Um, uh, is there a scene where he's talking to a dead chicken? No. Okay, no. then you watch the theatrical. You would know. <laughs> <laughs> because Clint Eastwood sounds about the same, but these scenes, Eli Wallach sounds remarkably older, like like way older, like yeah. modern, like like latter day Eli Wallach, where he's really growly, <laughs> very growly, very Jewish. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting watch. Yeah. None of the scenes really add anything to the movie. Uh, they yeah. just add a little more flavor. You get a little more of the Civil War stuff. You get like a little more. Uh, there's a scene where they just go to the, like, Angel Eyes is going to get information. He just goes to this, like, bombed out uh, fort. And it's, you know, like, it's just a guy hucking corn cobs into the pot. And he doesn't care. <laughs> uh, it's, it, yeah, it, uh, such a good movie. And, you know, like, I think, you know when we've talked about a movie we really love because we don't go as long because there's less <laughs> to say. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's that's why Rise of Skywalker is our 90-minute episode. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, you don't want to turn these episodes into, you remember that part? That was awesome. Yeah, you don't want to become part? Chris that was Farley. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you remember when you were in the Beatles? That was awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I absolutely love this movie. It was, it, it's, it is, um, yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's, yeah, it's it, so, it, I don't like to throw that term around, but it really is. It's one of the most iconic movies of all time and it holds up really well if you've never seen it but you sort of know all the imagery from it you go back and watch it because you know the godzilla movies can feel very quaint and the old monster movies can feel very quaint this one doesn't this feels fresh no i mean and and there there are certain sequences that feel very modern almost and i mean part of it is because so many like filmmakers like tarantino have you know 
ripped it off for homage, depending on, on how you feel about it. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, a lot of it feels very modern and, and like the, the scene where, um, Tuco is getting tortured by angel eyes and they're singing the song and yeah. it's cutting, but like that part, it's like, like that felt like, feels like a modern movie it doesn't yeah feel how like many something movies yeah. uh, are there where someone's having something horrible happen to them and it's like beautiful music or ironically <laughs> happy music behind it you know yeah, that, like it's yeah. exact the exact same thing yeah rip off or homage i guess uh to quote clifford irving in f for fake it's not a question uh, with art it's not about whether it's real or it's fake it's whether it's a good fake or a bad fake <laughs> Because yeah. that, at the end of the day, we're talking about how influential these movies are, and they only exist because he just wholesale lifted the plot of Yojimbo. So <laughs> it's, 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 it's true. That's true. And I was trying to think if there was any other franchise that like was born out of an adaptation of some other work, you know, that was not like not adapted from a comic book, but was like, here's this movie, and I'm going to make a sequel to it but it's not really a sequel so no i mean there's stuff like like dr strange love is a comedic adaptation of red alert you know like right. things, things like that they exist but uh I, I don't think it was intentional but the fast and the furious is just point break if you swap out cars for surfboards true no that's true um and that yeah i guess that spawned a franchise well, this is the thing it's like yes like i said good fake or bad fake all art that's important and well done and influential informs things that came after it. And all art that comes out is informed by the things that are, is influenced by something. Nothing can ex- emerges in a vacuum. No, that's Nothing true. at all. Yeah. You know, like samurai movies lead to Westerns, lead to Australian post-apocalyptic movies, you know, lead to yeah. Escape from New York. Starring Lee Van Cleef, who was in the Westerns. You know, it, it all comes yeah. back around. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I, I, thinking of, of Kill Bill specifically, which lifts music from the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes, and also the way that um, that Bill carries his gun is the same way that Angel Eyes carries Yeah, his gun. on the, the like, it, sling. Uh, the, he gets, yeah, he gets like, he a, like, just a piece of rawhide, which I thought yeah. was so interesting. <laughs> But he also, like, holsters it in such a strange way. He keeps it way. in, like, his jacket pocket. Yeah. So when they're going to get ready for the standoff, he's, like, very slowly taking it out. Like, I'm yeah. just getting ready. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> he's, like, looking at but Lee that... Van Cleef, like, don't shoot. I'm just getting, <laughs> getting set up. Yeah. So, anyway, lots of... It, it's great. I mean, yeah. If you haven't seen this movie, see it. Uh, it's, yeah. It's absolutely I, worth it. I can't it's... recommend it enough. It is yeah. one of the finest part threes out there and like all the best part threes it wasn't intended to be a part three (laughs) which i yeah i think that's the that's the key either it's not intended to be a part three or if it is it it has the the track has been laid for it to well i think some of the best third movies um they're expanding on what came before but they also have uh an identity of their own a voice of their own like you think of uh you know, uh, return, uh, not return of the Jedi, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade has ideas and visuals and concepts that you don't find in the first two, but it is still very much in keeping with the first two Indiana Jones movies. You know, that's, yeah. that's kind of why a lot of the times the third movie is the one that really kickstarts the franchise or gear shifts it in a new direction. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think, uh, I think you're right. I mean, we've seen that. <laughs> oh yeah. So far, you know, many times. 
Many times. Well, uh, on that note, we're cutting towards the end of the year, uh, but we've got a couple more in the tank, and I believe the next one is uh, a Will Morey, uh, I will call it a choice. Whatever it is, it's a choice. <laughs> Sam, I'm going to pick something kind of easy. It's not going to It's not going to cause us too much stress. I'm going to pick Lethal Weapon 3. Oh, yes, absolutely. No baggage attached to the Lethal Weapon franchise. <laughs> well, no, I mean, sir. Well, I mean, okay. Okay, there's a lot of baggage uh, attached to I can't to judge. This. I picked Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, so we've got, <laughs> we each get one. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of baggage attached to the, the one of the main stars. But as far as a movie goes, this, this shouldn't be like an underworld Rise of the Lycan well, situation. Right? Right? No, I mean, the fact that you choose, chose to spend one of your tokens on that movie will be a mystery for the ages. <laughs> but, you know, Lethal Weapon 3, I love the first two Lethal Weapons, and uh, I can safely say that the third one is not as wildly racist as the fourth one, <laughs> so it's got that going for it. Yeah, it's just very clear that no one had any idea what the movie was while they were making yeah, it. Yeah, it's so. a real, like, oh, we don't have a script, but let's just go. Let's see what happens, you know? <laughs> it's like Which, Spinal Tap, but we're going to have to have a lot of explosions. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, it's the one I've definitely seen the least. I, I, I've i seen it a couple times, and I feel like it's one that just, it goes in my brain, and I immediately just, oh, immediately my brain is just replacing it with diplomatic immunity from right Gary bits Ducey. and pieces from the other other ch- other movies I, I as a kid this was my the third one was my favorite for some reason i don't i don't know why but it was the one i was like oh that's the best one <laughs> i don't know <laughs> contrarian little young sheldon-esque <laughs> will Morey. actually lethal <laughs> weapon three is the superior chapter but I mean, I, I remember liking all three of them, but I remember thinking that the third one was the best one. Maybe it's just because that opening explosion with the, the building is oh, just so right. cool. It's like got the same why. opening as the X-Files movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why. I don't know. I mean, anyway. who doesn't love explosions? Yeah. And when we were... Well, especially when you're nine years old. Yeah. That's, you know... It's explosions, you're going to get more Joe Pesci... <laughs> uh and uh is i think uh this is the first one with Rene russo yeah yeah so this is the, yeah. it's fine i'm not angry it's, at you yeah <laughs> look i could have picked a lot worse i could have yeah, picked a I, lot I, worse. I i i mean you you've threatened me with you've threatened me you've got blade trinity hanging over my head still so <laughs> no listen listen we have the fix for that movie that will make it the best movie ever made and we'll discuss it when we get there i think we will just i will say my fix and then i will cut the feed and it'll be a five minute episode (laughs) just drop the mic (laughs) (laughs) just leave me hanging actually that'd be even weirder you're just like leave and i'm just stuck there ranting about blade trinity yeah i'm just gonna like uh put a cardboard cutout of myself just let you go let you riff for like 40 minutes about blade trinity (laughs) It's a lot to say about it. Oh, I, lo- I I love crazy out there. I'm not going to call them bad hot takes, but like ones where you're just kind of like, really? Like the guy <laughs> I knew in college that would constantly, he wrote like a whole essay, like a 10 page essay in one of my film classes about why the theatrical version of Blade Runner is better. Okay. Like the one with the narration right, where he looks like he's on quaaludes. Uh, I, it's one of the I, I always find that interesting when someone has an opinion that is 
like so contrarian, like a film opinion. I don't mean like a political opinion. That's yeah, a yeah. different thing. But like a a movie opinion that is just contrarian to what you just almost in your head have as established fact. Like when I was talking once to someone, and it was like, well, obviously Alien Resurrection is the best one, right? Like, and I'm like. <laughs> What? You might as well say, like, well, obviously the sun is made of marzipan. You know, it's like, <laughs> what? I don't know how to. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to talk to you. It's not like I have a particular beef with Alien Resurrection, sir. But it's just Alien and Aliens. <laughs> yeah, it's just you, you come down to it. Those first two movies. Uh, uh, well, it's, it's, you know, it's when, it's like when you meet people that think the prequels are the best ones, where you're just right. like, you know, you get the gif of Ryan Reynolds just going, but why? But why? <laughs> My experience is the, the people who think the prequels are the best ones are the folks who grew up after they came out, you know, who, who were at least uh, uh, maybe alive when Revenge of the Sith came out in theaters, but do not remember any of the releases of the other movies. That's my experience. God, I mean... We're turning into our our dads now because, like, the good, <laughs> yeah. the bad, and the ugly is, you know, when you hear a boomer say they don't make them like they used to, they're talking about, like, classic westerns, basically. <laughs> you know, or, you know, the hunt for Red October. <laughs> uh, and we're turning into that now about, like, you know, they don't make them like they used to. You should have seen uh, Empire Strikes Back. We had to go to a video store. <laughs> and and rent a physical copy because we didn't have the world wide web like, our kids are just like okay whatever dad whatever dad I'm gonna watch the 60,000 Star Wars shows I can watch now like, dad I'm trying to I'm trying to hang out with my friends in the metaverse <laughs> we're in virtual reality dad oh, virtual hey, I, reality. I remember I remember Lawnmower Man, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Virtual reality. Every twenty years, they give a take a crack at that. Has it gotten any better? Still, this horrible vaporware nonsense. Oh God, yeah. Oh man, I remember they had it at, our, at the Boston Museum of Science. They had the uh, virtual reality display, and I just remember like, like. What am I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah. Like I was trying to explain Virtual Boy to Elise the other day. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, it's like, all right, well, so it's these, it's these big goggles and they're on a tiny tripod that you put on the table and you hunch down and you're looking and it's a bunch of wireframes and you don't know what's going on, but it's <laughs> maybe it's, Mario. And it's red and black. It's, it's, <laughs> God, what a horrible system. That, that, uh, yes. I just think of like Homer Simpson, just, oh, what a bleak and horrible future we live in. <laughs> Did you ever go to one of like the virtual reality arcades? No, they, they, they popped they up in Salt Lake a couple times. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think like they maybe had them at like Chuck E. Cheese. Like yeah. they might have had one set up at Chuck E. Cheese, but no, I don't. Like they've got the like augmented reality stuff now. Like there was one at the mall in Glendale for a while, but um, yeah, there was no. a Star Wars one. There. Yeah, uh, and yeah. then I think COVID hit, and you can't like just share goggles with people anymore. <laughs> But no, I mean, I've, I honestly, uh, it, it's virtual reality. Like I remember it's in Jurassic park and virtual reality helps That's us right. manipulate the DNA. <laughs> it's like, it always was the shorthand for like radical. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. It does feel like it's such a nineties like concept. And it's, every time it's, it's somebody, a, like, someone somebody wearing like a along. weird, like s- transparent hat 
and like a Nintendo Power Glove. You look like uh, you end up looking like Mysterio in Spider-Man: Far From Home, like when he's in his real form where he's wearing like the like mocap suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Have you seen Johnny Mnemonic recently, Sam? No, my life hasn't been that empty, Will. <laughs> Anyway, you know, Keanu Reeves wearing this ridiculous rig on his... He's like, I need to get on the internet. And he puts on this thing and he's... Oh, the the vision of the internet in the 90s is amazing. Like, (laughs) the movie The Net, where Sandra Bullock is considered a weird, creepy shut-in because she buys stuff online. (laughs) (laughs) Ah... Oh, the 90s. Well, we I want to show Johnny Mnemonic to Elise, but I also don't want to uh, spoil the cyborg dolphin. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of the biggest selling point, so I haven't been able to get her to uh, get it, watch it with me yet. Uh, Dolph Lundgren is like a cybernetic... Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to sell her with uh, Dolph Lundgren. Uh, uh, um, Dina I, Meyer's in it. Dina Meyer. That's how you know uh, it's a, I, 90s, a 90s. You know, it's amazing. No 90s movie had Dina Meyer and Michael Wincott. That's, it, is, it is weird. Yeah. Like, uh, she, like he should have been in Dragonheart. Yeah. Why wasn't he in Dragonheart? Maybe he was uh, busy. I think... Um, <laughs> I, I think the uh, Brian Thompson had his part in yeah, that, <laughs> or, yeah. or Jason Isaacs. Um, let's see, let's see. Ice T, Henry Rollins. Would that get her get her in the door? No, my wife is 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 a, a millennial woman. She's not gonna be. She, I don't think Henry Rollins has the same draw as he used. To. The, the movie opens up with a title card that's like the Internet 2025. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, uh, the, like, the trilogy you do? Like, Lawnmower Man, Johnny Mnemonic, and uh, Virtuosity with Denzel Washington. (laughs) Yeah, they would all all fit into one. We combined the minds of the most evil men in history to make uh, (laughs) Russell Crowe. I remember we tried to watch Virtuosity once. I fell asleep. It's... uh... I, 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 before it came, before we watched it, I was like, I can't believe no one talks about this movie. And after I saw it, I was like, I can believe why no one talks about this movie. <laughs> it's not, it's not a high watermark for Denzel. No. Or like, it's not even fun in like that 90s trash sci-fi no. vibe. Like 90s... Johnny Mnemonic or Barb Wire. Like it doesn't yeah, have Well, that, I mean, like... Barb Wires. <laughs> you wanted to talk about movies that like wanted to be franchises and wholesale lift their plot from another movie, <laughs> Barb Wire, the famous remake of Casablanca. <laughs> the post-apocalyptic remake of Casablanca? Why not? With Pamela Anderson in the Sin- Humphrey Bogart role. <laughs> who, who, who thought that was a good idea? I don't know. It's either, my 90s schlock genre, as you know, is killer animals. Post-Jurassic oh, right. Park. You, uh, you give me some Congo or, or disaster movies or Volcano or right. Twister. Though that's, that's like my jam because they always have like – because Jurassic Park was so successful, all those movies that came out from like 1994 to 1999 have like casts that are way better than like they the movie deserves. Be, yeah. yeah, Like Laura Linney and Congo. It's like this movie doesn't deserve Laura Linney. It doesn't deserve <laughs> Delroy Lindo, but they're all there. They're all there. Yeah, no, my mine, uh, my my eighties, just the the dumb sci-fi movies that just littered the nineties are just my my favorite. Your Barb, like it, like we say, Barb Wire, your Johnny Mnemonics. 
Wing Commander. <laughs> oh God, Wing Commander! Right? <laughs> Jesus Christ! I mean, it's like and and in tucked away in there is uh you know a little these gems like Starship Troopers, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know that the, there are the good ones from the '90s, but so many of them are just like weird, like. They feel they feel like strange little cult films that manage to get enormous budgets. <laughs> well, it's it's filmmaker either filmmakers from the '80s that l- have lost interest but are still going at it, like John Carpenter, uh, <laughs> or they're just like, or it's like, I don't know. It's 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 a it's an era where like a lot of genre movies were trying to find a new identity. You know, yeah. horror movies had the same problem. Yeah, it was it was a lot of like let's throw this at the wall and see if this hits. Let's throw this one at the wall and see if it yeah. hits. And unlike yeah. westerns, they didn't have anyone that was I mean, I don't know if I would call Scream reflective. It's self-aware certainly, but they didn't have anyone like trying to reflect on the genre no. and and take it and you know sort of deconstruct it in a way. I mean, yeah. I, I guess Scream kind of is a deconstruction, but it's not, you know, it's playing it all for for fun more so than not that I need Scream to be like unforgiven, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, but it's like that's the thing. Westerns evolve, like westerns. The archetypal western evolved to the point where it can't go any further. Yeah, on a certain I, level. Yeah. No, I think I think I think you you hit the nail on the head with that. I think it it really did. It hit sort of a natural end point, and the only way to go forward with a western is to do something radically different, which is. I think you're right. I think it's to explore underrepresented yeah. un- identities. Go from the to time corners period. of that yeah. world that have not been visited before. Exactly. There's, there's not much you, left you can do with the man with no name. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think you're right. Well, yeah. Um, who would have thought that uh, the Sergio Leone would lead into a 20 minute conversation about virtual reality? But that's uh, <laughs> that's what makes great films great. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we will uh, we will be back next time around for Lethal Weapon three, uh, our, our first uh, visit with the uh, the late great Richard Donner. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's and, right. And um, uh, until then, Will, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I, uh, I I got nothing. I got nothing. That's okay. Adios. Adios. Just just squint. I guess just squint, and I'll get look uh, real close at you. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Bunk. <laughs> I feel lucky I forget what the third movie in the Dirty Harry franchise is is that I, dead the the Deadpool that's or the is fifth that, one no I think the, the third one. one it might be like The Enforcer oh, all I know yeah. is it's the one where he says go ahead make my day <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's still with us man it's 92 he he's still making cranking movies cranking him out good for him you know yeah. good for you man have you seen The Mule? That's the only recent Clint Eastwood movie I've seen. No, I have not sh- seen that, nor have I cried macho. It is it, The Mule is a very, very strange movie. It is very weird. He has a threesome with Mexican hookers in that movie. All right. Well, <laughs> you know how to sell it. Uh, Clint Eastwood's an interesting cat. Like He's got like he so really many... Di- he's, he's, he contains multitudes. There's like <laughs> country music Clint Eastwood. There's like Zen Buddhist Clint Eastwood. There's gr- gr- vigilante cop Clint Eastwood. You know? It's like, there's like boxer Clint Eastwood. All, there's so yeah. many. There's jazz musician Clint Eastwood. <laughs> he's like different Batman action figures. <laughs> 
it's just gonna say the same thing. He really is. He does. It's just, just like he reinvents himself whenever he feels like it. Yeah. And... I mean, that's what happens when you're really successful early on. The smartest thing you can do is take advantage of that to go in different creative directions and see what you're into. You know. Yeah. You ended up making a few more classics in there for sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, mm. yeah. Well, uh, what can you add to that? Yeah. Not much. Uh... <laughs> If you're going to shoot, shoot. Don't talk about it. <laughs> Best line in the movie. It's a great line. Yeah. All right, my friend. And I, I will see you later. Always a delight. And yes. you folks out there, I hope you're having a good holiday season. And we'll see you next time for Lethal Weapon 3. Hell yeah.